Hi everyone, I'm Tavi Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that explores some of the challenges and opportunities leaders face in today's increasingly complex, fast-paced, and interconnected global market. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tavi Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that provides both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes, corporate trainings, and consulting services that will help you to improve the way you lead. To learn more about our services and some of the companies and organizations we've had the pleasure to work with and what they've had to say about our work, visit our company's website at tavernasir.com. And while you're there, check out my award-winning internationally acclaimed leadership blog as well. And now, let's meet my guests for this episode, Karen Hurt and David Dye. You had every employee coming to work thinking every day, how could I make this better? How could I do this more effectively or efficiently? Those really add up. There's a number of different ways that courage comes up, but it's the leader's job to go first to create this culture. If we recognize that our employees are the critical key to our organization's ability to grow and succeed, how do we make sure we're creating an environment that empowers them to share their ideas on what we can do better, their insights on what we need to correct, and what they're hearing from our customers as the pain points we need to address. That's what I'll be discussing with my guests, Karen Hurt and David Dye. Karen and David are the CEO and president of Let's Grow Leaders, a leadership training and consulting company. Karen is also host of the popular LinkedIn show, Asking for a Friend, which Karen was gracious to invite me to be a guest on, while David hosts his own podcast, Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Together, they've written two books, including their latest, Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem-Solvers, and Customer Advocates, which I'll be asking Karen and David about in this episode. Hi, Karen and David. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Thank you so much for having us. Our pleasure. So, Karen and David, before we delve into some of the ideas you share in your book, I do want to discuss the qualifier you use when discussing workplace culture, namely this idea of a courageous culture. Now, when we talk about a healthy organizational culture or an organizational culture leaders should aspire to attain and sustain over the long run, we typically refer to creating a workplace environment that's open and welcoming. So to help our listeners get a better handle on what we'll be talking about here, Karen, what do you mean by courageous culture? Yeah, so our favorite definition of culture uh, comes from Seth Godin, where he says it's simply people like us do things like this. And so when we talk about a courageous culture, what we're talking about is where Silence isn't safe and effort is everything. So the, the default is to contribute. So it's not just that you're open to new ideas, uh, but you have leaders proactively going out and deliberately being very clear about what a good idea would accomplish and asking for people's contribution at every level. I have to tell you, when I was reading your book, I loved this idea you have of making an act of courage not be this grand gesture but instead it make it something a little more intentional and concrete that we're addressing the everyday experiences our employees have interacting with us and within their teams, that we want to be sure people feel that psychological safety to challenge the status quo if they see something that we should change because it will help improve things or how addressing the small need can create brand loyalty with our customer base. 
It's so true. And, I, you know, particularly now, you know, when everyone has been on a fast pivot to do the best they can with what they have from where they are, right? And, you know, you really do need to be thinking and tapping into the small things that will make it easier for people to do, do their work. So we call that a micro innovation. So yeah, sure. Sometimes tapping into people's ideas could come up with a, a game changing plan that could, you know, totally transform your organization. But more likely, if you had every employee coming to work, thinking every day, how could I make this better? How could I do this more effectively or efficiently? Those really add up. And when you talk about the grand gestures and how we're not necessarily referencing that, there's a, a paradox in a courageous culture where if people like us, everyone's raising their hand on behalf of the customer and, and contributing to micro innovations and solving problems, it actually takes less daily courage for any person to do that because it's what people like us do. And that's, as leaders, the kind of culture that we're capable of building. Absolutely. And I'm actually glad that you brought this up, David, because, you know, when we're talking about this notion of creating this environment where people feel welcome to offer these incremental changes to improve things or to want to jump in and solve problems, not because they're obligated to, but because they care or that they speak up for the best interests of those your organization is meant to serve, it does require a level of courage on the part of the organization's leadership. So, David, while I think we can all appreciate why making a disruptive change to the way we work or see things requires a certain level of courage, why, when we're talking about micro-innovations, as Karen referred to it, why is it when we're talking about these types of incremental changes, are we also having to look for a certain level of courage for accepting or welcoming these smaller contributions on the part of our employees. Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on here. So let's let's take a step back to what the research tells us about all of this. So as we were two, three years ago, getting into these concepts and really digging deep into why this was all happening and asking ourselves questions like, why are organizations struggling? Was we were seeing, we were talking to executives who were saying, uh, you know, I want ideas. Why am I the only person who's got to see these problems and solve them? Why are my managers uh, getting more ideas and contributions when they're out talking with people? And then we'd go talk to the frontline folks and we'd hear things like, ah, no one really wants to hear what I've got to say. And people are stuck in their way of thinking and nothing's going to change. And we would look at each other and go, are you guys working for the same company? And so that started us on this quest to find out why does this happen? And what do great leaders and good organizations do to overcome it? And one of the things that we discovered as we started doing, looking into the literature around this is that there is a human default to safe silence. Uh, and there are different reasons for it. One is that uh, we tend to overweight past negative experiences. And most human beings have had a bad experience at some point. I raised my hand and I got shot down. You know, I, I threw out this idea and I got in trouble for it or made my boss look bad and they, whatever. And so we tend to hang on to those and overweight them. And then we also discount the future benefit that could come from contributing. And so those two factors, overweighting past negatives and then discounting the future, those tend to drive people to safe silence. If I just do, keep my head down, do my work. I'm not going to get in trouble. All right. Well, as leaders, where the courage comes in is, it's twofold. First, you have to set you have to set the tone. You've got to model the way. You got to set the example. And if you're asking your people to speak up and they don't see you speaking up on their behalf, that's not going to work. 
And so tapping into your own courage and being able to do that yourself as a leader is vital if you're going to build that kind of, of culture on your team. And then second is it actually takes courage to receive ideas because you're not going to be able to use all of them. Uh, and you need to know how to respond when that happens. So there's a number of different ways that courage comes up, but it's the leader's job to go first to create this culture. I'm so glad you rise up, Dave. In fact, the initial examples you were sharing of your experiences talking with leaders reflected some of the conversations I've had with leaders where you discuss some of the challenges and obstacles the organization is facing. And at one point in the conversation, I'm sure you've both heard this, you'll have the leader say, you know, if we had such problems, don't you think my employees would say something? And I think it's because we've all learned that being courageous is to do something extraordinary, which is no doubt why we're all familiar with this idea that we got to keep our head down and not rock the boat because these little issues are not worth the headaches you'll get from trying to draw attention to it. Yes. So, you know, the research that we did, we did an extensive study with the University of North Colorado and, uh, you know, 67% of the participants said, you know, the reason that I don't share ideas is because my manager acts upon the notion of this is the way we've always done it. And then 50% said, you know, nothing's ever going to happen as a result. Those are pretty alarming statistics when you think about, you know, if people are coming to work feeling that way, you're going to see them say, well, why bother? I, I'm not going to speak up because it won't do any good. I'm actually glad you brought that up, Karen, because I've, we've been taking a bit of a high level view of this idea of courageous culture. And I'd like to take a more closer look at this because both of you have mentioned one of my favorite aspects of your book, and that is the research you did looking into understanding what holds people back from speaking up and contributing their insights and experiences to help improve things, solve problems and address your customers' needs. And through your research, you actually found that there's five distinct reasons that keep employees from speaking up. So Karen, could you share what these are and actually explain what was the psychology behind it? Because I think this is a great way for our listeners to have something to reflect on in terms of what they might be doing without realizing that's what they're doing. That's actually impeding their team members and their employees from speaking up. Yeah. So a couple of, so I've shared a couple there. The, you know, another one was 40% said they lacked the confidence to share their ideas. And you know, so psychologically, where's that coming from? And uh, you know, as we did the qualitative research underneath that, one of the things that we heard again and again is, well, I spoke up one time and it didn't go so well. And you know, so people would say, I spoke up one time and shared an idea and my boss, my boss took credit for it or stomped all over it or told me it was stupid or embarrassed me in front of the team. And generally these stories, they weren't really big, dramatic stories, but for the person to whom it happened, it was a really big deal. And it was preventing them from speaking up for sharing ideas in the future. And you know, so the, the reason that's so important for the human-centered leaders that I know are listening to your show is that even if you are the very best leader, if you are out absolutely you know, telling people you want their ideas, it is still possible that someone on your team has had a negative experience in the past that they can't let go of. And so if you are aware that that could potentially be happening, it encourages you to be even more deliberate and welcoming of people's ideas. Um, one of the most surprising findings uh, was that uh, people said that the reason they didn't, 56% said the reason that they're not sharing idea is because they would not get credit for it. 
And I think this was really surprising. Back when we were doing our in-person keynotes, it would be interesting. We would share this, you know, share this statistic from the stage, and you would see just a sea of people go, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so like, okay, this is real. This people are worried that they won't get credit. So I think that's a, another big one. And then one other stat that that finding that came out of the research that uh, speaks to this was 49% of respondents said that they're not regularly asked for ideas by their leaders. And why is that a big deal? Because as we would share that finding with leaders, particularly executives, well-meaning, well-intentioned folks would say things like, but everybody knows that I'm open to idea. I have an open door and they know they can come to me with anything. And the getting to the psychology of that The problem there is that an open door is passive. An open door still requires somebody to take the initiative and they may not even know that they have a meaningful and good idea that needs to be shared. And so the encouragement here is for leaders to become proactive because the best ideas, the one that the game-changing idea that you need right now probably isn't going to walk through your open door. People are just doing their work. They may not even know it's there to contribute. Right. Now, you know what? I'm just thinking about these two facets you just shared. One of how, as you mentioned just now, David, this idea that, well, people know I'm open to hearing other ideas. I have the open door and so forth. But as you said, it's passive. And then, Karen, that point you brought up of how, you know, you might be a leader who's really genuine and wanting to hear the ideas and insights of your employees, but they've had these past bad experiences, which frankly, a lot of us have had <laughs> those bad bosses and who have taught us, quite frankly, to be very cautious if we start in a new job. We just want to do what's going to make sure that our new boss is happy. We're doing what's being asked of us and so forth. And it's very tentative for us to actually say, if we see a problem, to speak up. So, I'm just thinking of those leaders who are now maybe thinking to themselves, first of all, wait, is that what I'm doing? Am I being passive and saying, well, I have this open door policy and maybe I should be doing more. But then also for maybe those employees amongst their team who maybe it's not something that they're doing necessarily, but maybe it's their past experiences. How do they identify it and how do they help their employees overcome that previous negative experience that's informing their choices? Yeah, so the first is really um, make sure that you're modeling the way. We call that navigating the narrative. We have a seven-step process for helping people, very practical ways to help people you know, tap into their best ideas from their employees. But for, it starts with navigating the narrative. How are you showing up? Are you, um, are you sharing your ideas with your peers? Are you sharing best practices? Are you speaking up? Are you advocating for the team? And then secondly, it's what we call create clarity. And this is really being clear about two things. One being very clear that you really do value and want people's ideas. And then the second one is so important, being clear about what a good idea would accomplish. So, you know, do people understand where you're headed strategically? And so, you know where we really need an idea and be as specific as possible because it can be incredibly intimidating for you to say, hey, you know, just bring me all your ideas to improve the business. Oh, geez, where do I start, right? You know what I need ideas for right now? We need ideas for how to um, support our remote teams while everyone's working from home without burning them out. Okay, that now I, I got some ideas around that, right? So you make it easier. 
And then cultivating curiosity, which is going out and being very specific and going out and deliberately asking people for their ideas. So one way of doing that is what we call a courageous question, which is simply a question that is specific and vulnerable. So for example, uh, Don Yeager, we write about in the book, he is one of our clients and he's, um, he runs a call center and he's COO of this call center company. And he, for 10 years, has been going out and asking this one specific question, which we just love. What is one policy we have that just sucks? Now he's the COO, right? So he's made these policies or is reinforcing these policies. And so he is going out and assuming it's vulnerable because he's like assuming that there is some policy that is ticking off the customers and he wants to understand it. And it's specific because he's asking people for only one. But I think at the same time, I'm just thinking about that example. I'm just imagining some of my listeners going, well, if my the boss above me that that oversees my department and so forth were to come up to me and say, you know what, what policies? It's a new year. We're looking at overhauling our policies. What policies do you think don't work? And you know that these policies were coming from <laughs> that higher suite that's above you. I'm thinking some people are going like, yeah, if my boss were to ask me that question, I don't think I would be comfortable answering it because I don't feel that safety that we've been talking about, psychological safety, where if I, if I actually share my genuine experiences and the experiences of my team and the challenges we face, that it will be well received. So for those who maybe are listening or thinking like, instead of being that passive open door policy leader, I want to go and be proactive and asking a question and a specific question, like you pointed out, Karen, where I'm not just saying, Hey, any ideas you have, let me know, but really being specific. Hey, in this context, how do we make sure before we even ask the question, we've created an environment where people are able and willing to share their answer with us? It's a, a great question. And the, you know, the example that Karen shared there of, of basically inviting people to criticize a policy, that's assuming, and obviously Don has done that. He's built that culture where people can contribute at that level. But there is the work and you you get at this uh, in your question that comes before that. And so as you're getting out and intentionally asking those courageous questions, you can start with something that's more constructive. Okay, hey, we've got this uh, initiative that we're starting. Uh, what is the thing that we are not thinking about that's critical to its success? What do we need to do in order to make sure this happens? You can start with safer questions and then you've got to manage your response. So, or let's say that you're asking for an idea. You know where we could really use a great idea right now? We really need every idea we can get on how to provide value for our customers in this remote environment right now. It's, it's different. We can't shake their hands the way we're accustomed to. So how can we add value? We need every idea we can get. Well, some of the ideas you're going to get are great. And some of them are going to be half-baked and some of them are going to be completely in the wrong direction. They're not even about delivering value. They're going to be about something else. How you respond to those as a leader makes all the difference in the environment you're building and the psychological safety that people will feel in contributing. So how do you do that? We call it respond with regard. And the way this works is regardless of the answer that you receive, you've got three steps, gratitude, information, and an invitation. Gratitude Thank you. Thank you for thinking about this. Thank you for thinking about how we can be better. Thank you for uh, sharing your perspective on that. You don't have to agree with it. Just 
gratitude for the fact that they shared and then add some information. So if, if they were missing some strategic data, give them that data. If they were um, not aware of the strategic priority, time to reinforce that. If, as uh, we found with one large financial institution we were working with, they were getting tons of ideas from their people, but internally their people weren't feeling heard, even though as an executive shared with us, 50% of those ideas were already implemented. And in some cases, people were contributing ideas that were so good, they were already being used. And so we said, well, how are you going back to people and letting them know? And he said, oh, we're not. That would be a good idea. So in, in that case, the information might be, hey, thank you for thinking about this. And here's where you can learn more about how we're already doing this great idea you had. And then the final step of responding with regard is invitation inviting people to continue thinking, to continue contributing. And the more that you can make that invitation in the areas where, as Karen was saying with clarity, you most need a great idea, the more valuable those ideas are going to be. So that cycle of asking and then responding with regard, over time, the more that you do that will establish the safety and the the confirmation for your team members, you really do mean it when you're asking. I'm glad you brought up this idea of respond with regard as I think many leaders overlook just how impactful the way they respond to their employees can be. Again, some of my leadership keynotes, I point out that it's not how much you speak to your employees, it's what you're telling them when you speak that matters. And we can see this in some of the data from your research where 50% of respondents said they don't share their ideas because they didn't think it would be taken seriously. And how 67% said their leaders seem to be more interested in just doing things the way they've been, always been done. And of course, the most problematic was how you found the number one reason why employees keep their ideas for innovation to themselves is that, as you said earlier at the start of our conversation, they fear they won't be given credit for it. And while many leaders might insist they are very much interested in finding new ways to innovate so as to grow market share, improve processes to reduce costs or improve productivity, there clearly is a disconnect between their intention and how they respond to their employees when they come forth with an idea for, as Karen referred to it, a micro-innovation or a solution to a problem that's going unaddressed or even just something they should be doing to better address the needs of their customers and clients. But what is another thing, if we're responding with regard, Karen, what are some of the other things that if we look at some of these responses you've gotten from your research for why people don't feel comfortable sharing their ideas, what's another major roadblock that leaders are not addressing in terms of how they're currently communicating that could be affecting that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is that people said that they were had not been trained in critical thinking or problem solving. And so we have a very simple model that, and we have been using this in all of our Courageous Cultures programs to help people really vet their ideas and think through them. So a lot of times when, you know, a, an, an executive come to us and say, you know, my managers are just not strategic. And we get underneath that, we say, well, do they understand, do they have enough information to be strategic, right? Do they really know where you're headed so that they can bring you good ideas? So that's the first part. And then our, our, we have an idea model. So this is an acronym. So if you say, when you're thinking about ideas, we need ideas around this topic. When you're thinking through ideas, I want you to bring me your best idea and run it through these four questions. I, why is this idea interesting? 
Meaning, why is it strategically aligned with where we've said we need ideas or where we're headed? Why, why will this help advance where we need to go as a company? D, is it doable? And that is so important, particularly right now, because most of us are not dealing with, okay, I need ideas for five years from now. We're like, okay, I need ideas to how, how are we going to really thrive in the next uh, six to 12 months? Is it E, engaging, meaning who else might think this is a great idea? Who else do we need to involve? And A, what are a couple of key actions, specific next steps that you would recommend? Now, so if you're listening and you've got an idea and you'd say, yeah, I really would like to pitch this idea to my boss, run it through these questions because you say, you know, hey, manager, I, I, I really care about this. I care about the business. I care about the success of the team. I have an idea that I think will improve productivity. Do you have a moment? Now, of course, your boss is going to say yes. And then you say, this is why I think this idea is interesting, strategically aligned. This is how I think we could pull it off, why I think we can do it with the resources we have now. Here's who else I think we need to include in this conversation. And here's what I would recommend we do next. You are going to be seen as a critical thinker who really cares about the business. Karen, I'm glad you brought up the idea model because, again, going by what we discussed earlier, the problem is, is when leaders present to their employees, well, look, I'm open to hearing your ideas. It's just casting such a wide net. And as we've said, if you get one time where you have this idea, which you personally think is a great idea, but you haven't gone through the process, those four steps you just described, it's very easy for your leader to say, no, I don't think that's going to work. And then suddenly you're feeling shut down because you had some passion. You really felt like you had done some thinking into it. But really, as you pointed out, a lot of our, the employees have not had the training on terms of critical thinking to help them really assess what is an idea that's really going to resonate and actually have the positive impact. Because that's really when people come forward with, with their ideas they're after. They don't want to just be seen for coming with good ideas or good intentions. They really want to have a positive impact, both in terms of how their organization operates, but also in terms of what they're creating for their customers. Yeah, I, I so agree. And, you know, as David was saying earlier, you know, how you respond to a half-baked idea or an idea that doesn't go in that direction is so important to you. This just happened to us. We had a member of our team who she brought, she had a, she was passionate about this idea. It was, you know, I mean, it was a good idea if we had been headed in that direction, but it was completely strategically in a different direction than where we were taking our organization. And so we were, we smiled. We're like, Oh, we have, how we respond to this idea really matters. Right. She's read our book. (laughs) She's done our training. And, you know, so we said, you know, it's thank you so much gratitude for thinking about this idea, you know, really appreciate That's a really, that's really interesting. Here's where we're headed in 2021. This is our strategic direction. Um, So that won't fit into the strategic direction, but you know what? We would really love any ideas that you have that would help us advance this. That little bit of um, that short conversation, she has brought some really great ideas since that conversation. She just needed a little bit more context. Absolutely. You know, and and Tanvir and Karen, you're both getting at this, and I think it's important also to highlight in the research uh, one of the things that came out are the quality and the impact of the ideas that people would contribute. We're not talking about things like, uh, you know, uh, 
it, for the in-person break rooms that we're going to have kombucha in the break room or, or better snacks or something like that. The, the idea is that people would contribute, would improve productivity. They would improve the employer customer experience uh, and employee productivity, efficiencies in a process, all of those bottom line business practices are things that people have ideas that would help. Yeah, that's a, that is a direct question we asked to the research. This idea that you're not telling us, what would this idea accomplish? And that's what they said. They were real ideas. So Karen and David, we've been focusing a lot on your research findings for why employees don't speak up. But now I'd like to look at the other side of this, and that is how do we create that courageous culture in your organization? What is that look like in today's workplaces, especially in the context of how so many of us are now working remotely, which is expected to become the norm for many of us for at least some portion of our work life, if not our work career? Yeah, well, the first thing that we would do is invite you as a leader to walk through this process. We actually, Courageous Cultures is written to be a roadmap that takes you through the process. And what you don't want, let's start with what not to do. You don't want to go and make a broad pronouncement to your whole organization. We're building a courageous culture, <laughs> right? Right, no. That's not effective. What, what you do want to do is start with yourself. Start by tapping into your own moments of courage and finding your, your own moments so that you're able to rely on those as you, as you go forward. Get your direct report team together and start talking about the clarity of what success looks like, where you most need great ideas, how you can be asking for them, uh, equipping you and, and your immediate leaders to respond with regard in some of the different ways of cultivating curiosity, uh, equip them with that idea model. Um, and But just pick one area, just one focus, one question that you can be, where you can be looking for ideas and focus on asking intentionally and responding well. And so that's the starting point. The, the next level you want to look for, and this actually even comes first, but as you're, you're getting into it, you'll uncover these things, is you want to be on the lookout for what we call toxic courage crushers. Because if someone is having to take, use all of their courage just to show up to work every day, um, and whether that's harassment or uh, you know me too things or racism, or I mean, any of the number of different things that it can take courage just to show up, or if you have an abusive leader that you've tolerated. If any of those things are happening, somebody's using all the courage they can possibly muster just to do their job. You're not going to get any creativity or, or productive thinking beyond that from them. And so having a zero tolerance of those things is vital. And if, as you're going through this process, you realize they're there, that's leadership job number one before you do anything else. I'm actually glad that you brought up this idea of the uh, courageous crushers, because I think that's an excellent place for many of us to start from. Because again, as you pointed out, Dave, at the start, you, you don't want to make a proclamation that you're going to make this wide change because fundamentally you have to start with yourself because people need to see that change happening in terms of how you're not only approaching your leadership, but in terms of the conversations you're having with your employees, as you guys just shared the example of your own employee coming to you with an idea and then realizing 
it's a very sound and good idea. It just doesn't fit with the strategic vision you have for your organization. And I think just recognizing that that simple conversation and how you respond and how present you are and what your employee is leaving that conversation with in terms of insights of what expectations you have from them in terms of ideas and possible solutions and opportunities helps make the future interactions better because now they have greater clarity and a greater understanding of what it is that they can provide to really create value for the organization, for your customer, as opposed to just kind of like, you know, shooting darts into the dark where it's like, let's hope something sticks. Right. And I think that is really an important point for many leaders to consider that, you know, again, we think of culture, we think of this broad brush that we were putting all across the whole organization. We're not really thinking more in terms of ourselves and how intentional and how present we are in what it is that we are communicating to our employees in these everyday interactions. Absolutely. If culture is people like us do things like this, well, the number one people people are watching to see what people like us do is you. Karen and Dave, what's been interesting about your book is how you help us to understand why employees and certain organizations are so enthusiastic to share their thoughts and ideas on how to improve things, of wanting to roll up their sleeves to fix problems they see, and even advocating on the behalf of their customers because they care about the experience people have with their product services and other organizations where people are more reserved and only share what's being asked of them, which sadly for some is not much or often. So thank you both for sharing your research and insights on how leaders can create a workplace culture where people feel empowered to speak up and freely share their expertise and experiences. Oh, thank you so much. An interesting look at organizational culture and what it is we should be doing as leaders to ensure we are in fact creating that workplace environment that welcomes and encourages employees to speak up and share their insights not just because we ask them to, but because they care. To learn more about Karen and David's work, visit the show notes for this episode at TavidNasir.com. And that's a wrap on this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe, brought to you by Tavid Nasir Leadership. Now, if you enjoyed learning about this or other insights I've discussed here on my leadership podcast, and you'd be interested in having me share them with your employees, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at tavinasir.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out my speaking page on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. In the meantime, I'd like to encourage you to share this or other episodes of my podcast with your colleagues and employees. The easiest way to do this is to simply share a link to my show's podcast page at tavinasir.com lbc. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review my leadership podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And with that, I'm Tavin Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.